We can't have our data contaminated, Paul. It's of the utmost importance that our cook is clean and our product unadulterated. Can't keep it clean. Why even do it at all, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, And I play that clip because that's sort of what we're talking about today is um, it's not necessarily a contamination, but it's that the the research in climbing was kind of all over the place with the language they were using and the methods they were using and um, coming up with a way to keep that unadulterated, to keep that cook clean um, is what this paper that we're looking at today is all about. And, you know, people always complain about small sample sizes and how stuff's not meaningful, but if we can figure out a way to combine things, you know, maybe we can make those numbers a little bit, have a little bit more of an impact. So stoked to dig into what these folks have been working on. Yeah. And this is a, this is a, a better call Paul episode, but we are looking at a paper. Um, the paper that we're looking at is the, the title is comparative grading scales, statistical analyses, climber descriptors, and ability grouping. International Rock Climbing Research Association position statement. Um, So this is a group of researchers who all gathered together, who are all in the climbing world and wanted to standardize, so to speak, how research is done on climbing. Uh, This was published in the Journal of Sports Technology in 2016. Authors are Nick Draper, David Giles, Volker Shuffle, many others, lots of names we've seen in other papers throughout the history of research for climbing. The the purpose of this paper, I think we've already said it, but I'm going to read it directly, um, is the aim of this position statement is to bring greater uniformity to the descriptive and statistical methods used in reporting rock climbing research findings. Um, I think it's a noble cause. Yeah, I think so too. I think it'll make things very useful. And I think we mentioned this in a couple of the papers we looked at in season one where they actually used this, which, you know, as we'll go into as we work into the paper, like there's a bunch of different ways to give a difficulty level or an ability level for 
rock climbing performance. And it's really hard to make comparisons if you're not coming from the same ground. So I really agree with this call. I think it's a great thing to have and it's a great thing that it's being worked on. Yep, totally. Um, I applaud them for it and I think it remains to be seen and we'll go over that today. Did they actually reach the uniformity they intended to? So let's get this thing started. You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I'm Paul Corsaro. I'm Chris Hampton. Lucky two guys are just guys, okay? And you're listening to Breaking Beta. Where we explore and explain the science of climbing. And with our skills, you'll earn more than you ever would on your own. We've got work to do. Are you ready? Ready, 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 ready? I am ready. How about you? Man, it's the last of the Better Call Pauls, and I don't really want them to end, but I am excited to get rolling on season two. So, oh, yeah. yeah, let's uh, let's go. Um, I want to start with the fact that in the previous episode, we lamented a little bit that there wasn't really a great place for collaboration and discussion between climbers, um, climbers, mm-hmm. coaches, and researchers. Uh, I was surprised to read in this paper that the IRCRA um, was formed in 2011, number one. That's yep. way earlier than I thought. Yep. And in their words, it was to bring together climbers, coaches, and researchers to share knowledge and promote collaboration. I'm glad that was the goal. I'm not sure they succeeded in that regard. Um, do you have a sense of when you first became aware of the IRCRA? I mean, honestly, it was when we were reading some of those papers from this past season. It was like the grade scale jumped out at me and I hadn't, yeah, I hadn't really heard of it before then, to be frank. How about yeah, you? I had, I had heard of it, um, only because I had seen, um, some of the climbers who are active on social media, climbers, researchers, um, Eric Hurst, Volker Shuffle, Ava Lopez, um, Carrie Cooper. She's also a member. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen them post on social media that they're going to the IRCRA events. So I had heard of it, but it was definitely not back in 2011. It was probably more like 2018 that I first heard of it. Um, and I think at least in my mind, um, you know, Dave Giles, Ava Lopez, Volker are probably some of the more, you know, uh, public facing people. But I think maybe Eric Hurst and Taylor Reed from Beta Angel are the two voices who do the most promotion for the IRCRA and the climbing and coaching community, yeah, at least I in think, the U.S. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I think that's pretty on point. Yeah, so. I'm glad that was their goal. I'm not sure that goal has actually been reached. Um, Yet, maybe, you know, let's keep moving forward. Let's figure it out, right? Yep. Why was this paper sorely needed in in your opinion? Um, Well, they kind of, if you just even look at the first table in the paper, so going back to one of the main reasons they put out this position statement was that out of the 550 or so papers of the of climbing research that were out there at the time of publishing, which I mean, that number kind of surprised me. I didn't know there was yeah, that same. much out there. I was like, it'd be cool if there was a database, all that, that'd be good to pick and choose. But I mean, so apparently there's a lot of research out there and it just seemed like there wasn't a whole lot of uniformity to reporting the 
ability levels of rock climbers or even standardizing how a climber would report their ability level. I mean, we all know if we're climbing for a decent amount of time, you all know there's different grading systems. You've got the YDS, we've got, you know, the French system, uh, UIA, um, you know, the bouldering grades. So, you know, it's tough to find that common ground, especially if you're going to combine studies or even just report a single study and have another researcher look at it and understand where you're coming from. So uh, they wanted to put out a call to develop a standardized ability scale for rock climbers. So moving forward, people are on the same page. Yeah. I think it's, it's not a secret that grades are fucked. (laughs) <laughs> you know, True. the, the V scale for boulders or the U bank scale in Australia might be the most sensible in that they're kind of a linear or ratio scale. Um, and they don't use plus or minus or ABCD, mm-hmm. but, uh, they both start in strange places. Um, the U bank scale starts at grade four, uh, for some reason. And, V0 is equivalent to 510 or 511, so it doesn't even go down to 5.1. So they don't really make sense to use. So they had to come up with their own scale, and it's just a linear ratio scale, which I think makes good sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm glad, really glad actually, that they don't include a plus or minus or ABCD in their grading scale. I think what happens is that 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 trying to like split up the grades, it's an attempt to make it more subjective, but I think, or make it more objective. But I think all it does is it chops up what is actually a really fairly broad scale Mm -hmm. and tries to further define it, which makes it more subjective. Um, It's a, it's this strange um, nether world And I think we just need to accept that at the edges of each delineation, it's going to be blurry. Yeah. I think no matter how objective you make it, there's always going to be the, uh, you know, say, say we even go to the IRCRA. There's always, if people graded climbs outside with that standard, you'd have people arguing whether something was a 17, 18, we'd probably see 17 plus 18 minus. Exactly. So there's always going to be that kind of salamiing things down for sure. (laughs) And, and it's just our nature, you know, we want it to be more accurate, but in turn that makes it even less accurate for someone else. Mm -hmm. That's, that's just the way it works. Um, I think this is a smart and clean way to do it. It's just, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way up, um, open ended, there's a 33 now. Yeah. 32 in this paper, but now 15D has been climbed in V17. So I guess we've got our 33 out there. Yeah, totally. And I'll, I'll make sure this conversion table uh, that they've made is in the blog post and the Instagram post for this episode if anybody wants to see it. Um, but I think it's smart and really clean. And I think that's a big win for the beginning of this paper. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, any, any other thoughts from you on... The grades, from what I can see, it, this was kind of just slam dunk. Yep. Yeah. I'd look at it. Tables, easy to understand. And just it, it's a, it's a logical way to go about it, really. Start with the lowest one at one and then just go from there. Right. And there's a couple little, I mean, it pretty much pairs up, if you look at it, pretty close to the, the YDS, where like each just next decimal point 
or next grade, whether it's, you know, the decimal point number up to five, nine, and then, you know, the letter grades is just the next number. So it's pretty simple and everything else kind of falls in around there. Um, and grades are one thing, but you know, the next thing this paper tries to do is create ability groupings for climbers. So, you know, are you intermediate, advanced, elite, whatever they, they just want a, a language that works well for these ability levels. Um, and I think we sort of ran into this problem in season one where we had a paper that called mm -hmm. them elite or advanced or something like that. And what they were really talking about is climbers that climbed harder than 510 or yeah. something. And I think anytime you add these words, intermediate, advanced, elite, you're, you're giving the reader some information that can be wildly subjective. Um, we all have our own versions of what advanced means mm -hmm. or elite means. Um, so this paper aimed to sort of standardize this info. Yeah. And that's another thing I agree with too, because from a research perspective, we've got to have maybe a little more concrete definitions of where people fall if we're going to describe a group of people. So I think in addition to just the standardized scale, I thought the ability grouping was a great idea as well. Yeah. And the, what they came up with was lower grade, intermediate, advanced, elite, and higher elite. Um, I don't know about you. I'm not a fan of these, these words. Um, it, they, they conjure something still. I think that's the problem mm -hmm. is that, you know, they, they don't, they already have a meaning to us. And when grades are moved higher and higher by the next generation, do we end up needing a higher, higher elite or more bigger elite or most <laughs> elitist? Or I, I don't know what, what comes next? Because There's plenty of elitist climbers out there. Now, so. <laughs> <laughs> Factual. Um, they, interestingly, they attach a level one to five to these to these words, lower grade, intermediate, advanced, elite, higher elite. So why not just stick with one to five? Yeah. Um, or, you know, colors it could be blue to red. Who knows? I think it should be something that doesn't conjure a, a level in our heads already. Yeah. And those terms are going to be subjective. Like why not keep it objective and clinical? Like a lot of research right. aims to be so. I didn't think about that, honestly, until you said that. I was like, oh, yeah, those make sense. But I didn't really think about the terminology. And yeah, I agree with you on that now that you mention it. Yeah, I think if we're trying to standardize, this is sort of going backwards. Like, Let's let's take these words that already conjure up something in our heads and use those just to fuck with people. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, eventually, you know, if we look at it, 1979, 5'11 was elite in the year 2035, we might have, you know, 517, who knows? So is that still higher elite or do we need another grade? Or um, would you think people would maybe just shuffle, keep the same five categories and just break it down a little differently? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's tricky. And mm -hmm. that's, that I think is the point. I think it should have just been an open-ended system that can continue to grow. Yeah, I agree with that. They also decided to split this ability grouping into two tables, one for men, one for women. Um, you know, for instance, for men, elite begins at 13C or V9. 
And for women, it begins at 12D V7. And I understand why they do this. Um, I think it's a more nuanced conversation. It's historically the way we've separated male and female. The male category has the upper hand and strength in power-based sports. I mean, that I think is just historically factual. Um, if we look at something like sprinting, we can see Flojo's 100-meter record set in 1988 at 10.49 seconds, which is blazing fucking fast. There's no debate about that. But it doesn't even make it into the top 10 high school boys record books. Mm-hmm. Um, so for power and strength sports, men have the upper hand. I think that's just a thing we have to recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, but should it be measured on a different scale? I think that's the that's the question here. Yeah, I, I – yeah. I kind of had to think about this one for a little bit and yeah, it's tricky both ways. I think, you know, you do gotta, cause a lot of research is done separately. Uh, They mentioned in here like world records and performance standards are kept separately. Um, But yeah, I don't know about the uh, differing, differing levels in regards to the table. Yeah, I think it's interesting. They say, you know, there's already this precedent set and that's why we're doing it. But I, I think in this day and age, that's not a great explanation. Yeah, we have to look at precedents that were, that are tainted by history. They're tainted by sexism. Um, This is an opportunity to try something new. And I'm a fan of trying new things. Um, I'm not a fan of just doing something because that's the way it's always been done. I think it lacks critical thinking, but I get it. So, you know, I still applaud them for trying to create a standard. I think they had an opportunity here that they missed. I would wonder if it was done today, whether that'd be a little different. Same. This was 2016, so not a long time ago, but, you know, things have changed. Obviously, a lot more still needs to change. Yeah. Um, But I think, yeah, I wonder if people would look at that in a different light this day. Yep. Same. Um, I'd, I'd be curious to know their thoughts on that now. And I don't think there are any like nefarious or malicious intent behind that at all when they did this, right. but yeah. sure. I think there's some room to grow mm-hmm. in the ability groupings. Um, next thing they tried to come up with were climber characteristics, essentially the things that should be collected in all of this research. Um, and I think this is a good list. It's a, uh, self-identity, so boulder, sport climber, et cetera. How do you identify as a climber? Um, Disciplines and percentage of time devoted to each in the last three and 12 months. Uh, The percentage of time indoors versus outdoors, also three and 12 months. Uh, Mean time spent climbing or training in a typical week. Time in the sport, uh, number of years or months experience. Are they involved in competition? And the preference for style of ascent and terrain. So on-site, red point, vert, overhanging, slab, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything you thought was glaringly missing here? I thought maybe the self-reporting grades could be a little more fleshed out. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the, I dug into some of the citations and, you know, I only read the, I only read the abstracts. So take whatever I say about a grain of, grain of salt. But a lot of the um, self-reporting grades as valid 
as a valid measure. A lot of the research done on that was done based on just on-site level. But if we're going to take self-reported for Redpoint, I think there's a difference there that needs to be considered. Um, but yeah, I liked when they talked about the self-reported grade for um, that three-three-three rule. So three successful ascents on three different routes within three, the previous three months. I think that would give us a better baseline of where someone self-reports. Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe you disagree with me. Interesting. I Well, I have a big pushback against this 333 okay, rule. Okay, cool. Um, so so let me explain. First, we, we need to know the, the grade a climber climbs when we're doing mm-hmm. research. Um, this person is X-level climber. And that value has to be involved. That's how we can compare it to all of the other data to see if it corresponds to X. You know, um, we have to have that value. So we have to say you are a 5'11 climber or whatever. Um, they decided on a 333 rule, which is three successful ascents on three different routes of the grade in the previous three months. When I first heard of this rule, I was in Waco Tanks. Um, on that trip, I did my first V11. So I decided to see where would I fit in this scale. According to the 333 rule, I would be a V6 climber. Because I had that's the that's the highest grade I had done three of in the last three months. Even though I had climbed V11, I had done a V10 in a single session. Um, I had done two V9s, both in a single session. But the only thing I had done three of was V6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I think I think for a lot of climbers, especially like weekend warriors, um, this 333 rule is garbage. I guess I wasn't considering that. I was just thinking of someone who, I guess, get climbing a lot and – but yeah, yeah, it works really well for a full-time climber, yeah. right? I guess like everything, there's nuance, right? But yeah, and I I mean, we we as a company argued over mm-hmm. this number a lot when we were creating our assessments. Like, how do we determine what that grade is? And everybody sort of has their own thing, um, their own way to determine this. And they had to pick a way. So I get the issue with it. I have a real problem with this three 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 rule. I think you know maybe if using it going forward and reset and research. There should maybe be some exclusion criteria for using it, where you've got people who fall into those situations. Maybe you go back mm-hmm. to self reported in a way that makes sense or something like that. But yeah, I, I I do agree with what you said initially, though, that the self reported needs some further thought and some further research, but. I suspect that ends up being the more accurate um, way to do it. Um, we we do in our assessments collect a self-reported grade that is based on a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this is not the number we use when we're measuring our data. But we do collect it, and I think it would be really interesting to take a look at that data in in terms of these hypotheticals. So what we get is for boulders, um, the question is currently, in your preferred style of climbing, what grade are you confident you can regularly send within two to three sessions? 
And for sport climbers, it's currently in your preferred style of climbing. What grade are you confident you can regularly send within eight to 10 attempts? So most people know, like, I think I'm capable of sending 13C in two to three sessions or eight to 10 attempts, whatever, or whatever the grade is. Most people know they have a really good idea of where they stand. So I'm totally guessing here, but I think the self-reported grade might end up being better in the long mm-hmm. term. It'd be interesting to see taking a big population of climbers and looking at both of those and just looking at the variance, like maybe have the same yeah. people do it, do the same survey and just see the difference in those two. Um, Cause yeah, there are those cases that would exist that you mentioned it where one or one of those numbers might be a bit skewed. Yeah, I think, you know, we take the three month rule. I think that's where the sticking point is for me in the 333. Sounds really nice. You know, it's concise. Um, But if you take a weekend warrior, somebody who, let's say, you know, I come from Red River Gorge, our whole season would be three months. So um, if it rains a few of those weekends, that might be, you know, you might have 12 days for a whole season. And is 12 days really enough to say you had to do three of these over those 12 days to say you're this level of climber? Um, for me, I don't think so. And then depending on when you're measuring, if, if you're measuring in September, the previous three months was a hundred degrees, you know? So could you have climbed three of anything? (laughs) I I don't like it. I think it's a great example how it's really hard to boil down rock climbing as a single so metric. Like we're not lifting a bar with this amount of weight and these are the standards and this is the record. It's, it's just it's the beauty of our sport, really. Yeah. And if you're if you're doing this research on full-time climbers, maybe this 333 works really well, but then are you really getting a a useful number? for the vast majority of climbers. You know? Yeah. And applying that to a population that doesn't climb up, climb year round four days a week. It's fucking tricky, man. Mm-hmm. I, I do. Like I said, I like the intention. A exactly. Lot, but I, yeah. I applaud them for picking something and going with it. It's really fucking hard to do. And it seems moving forward. We've seen more of this, the papers we've looked at after this position statement come came out. It seems like most of the, if I recall correctly, most of the climbing grade reporting in the papers that have looked at that have been self-reported for the most part mm-hmm. and haven't, I haven't seen the three, three, three rule mentioned in the papers we've read at least. But then again, we did what, 10 papers and apparently there's 540 other ones out there that we haven't <laughs> yeah. seen. So. We've got a few seasons left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there are a couple things in these characteristics that I think are missing that they don't talk about at all that maybe should be collected. Um, Number one, and this is one I don't think we collect. Maybe we do, and maybe we just word it differently. Um, I think we need to understand the time spent recreating versus intentionally trying to improve. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a big point that's missing here because lots of climbers just climbed recreationally for five years and they never really cared whether they got better or not. But then when they started really training and being intentional, they rocketed through the grades. 
So I think that needs to be taken into account as well as type of rock most climbed on, I think could be a really important thing. And I knew, I know we do collect that. Um, I could maybe see that type of rock. Um, could that could also fall into that last point of the climber's preference for style of ascent for terrain. I think maybe that yep. just could be fleshed out a bit, or maybe that was considered in greater detail. They just didn't talk about it in the paper, but I think that's where that would fit. That's where that would fit for me. Mm-hmm. There's also a question of, especially in today's world where we have a much larger group of climbers who are spending most of their time indoors. Um, are we allowing indoor grades and outdoor grades to both be reported? Are they being reported in the same way? I think this is a really interesting thing to take into or to question here. Um, are they, and should we, I I don't really know. That's a debate for a whole, uh, whole nother podcast maybe, (laughs) but this, that could be a whole podcast series is debating whether those two things I mean, because they're actually for, line up. They're for sure different, just experientially, right? Like it's a sure. different day. Even like you know, very rarely are you going to have the 120 foot sport route in the gym that requires something wildly different than you know a lot of the just mostly power endurance routes you're going to climb at a gym. So that's going to be different. Um, there's a little bit less of those coordinative aspects. Yeah, in the comp style outside, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're, they're different. And I think, is it, is it more different than say a Red River Gorge Madness Cave route versus a Yosemite mirror polished slab? Uh, is there a bigger difference between indoors and outdoors or between Red River Gorge and Yosemite? I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's lots of interesting questions. I'm, I'm glad this big group is tackling these things right because yeah how do you take that and try and make it objective and that's what they're trying to do and that is a daunting problem so yeah yeah huge um the next section they go into is future research um i was actually a little surprised in this that they spend so much of this section really just discussing grades they're not really discussing future research as much Mm -hmm. um and they, when they're talking grades, they make a few statements that I just fundamentally disagree with. Um, I'm curious your thoughts. They, they make a statement, although perhaps made more objective over time through repeat ascents and confirmation or often downgrading in talking about grades. Um, I think they just kind of threw up their own red flag here and waved it around without even noticing they were doing it because they say, or often downgrading, but they don't mention upgrading at all. Yeah. As if when we initially make grades, we're only grading them too high. We're never grading them too low. Um, If there's a human variable at play here, it's going to wreak havoc on the numbers and it's going to go both directions, right? Very much so. Yeah. So. But I think we do have this culture that doesn't allow upgrading. You know, we've, we frown upon it. Like you have to keep the sandbag, you have to keep the grade low. And I think allowing that culture to come into play here in the numbers is a, is a problem. 
Mm-hmm. It's taking some of the subjective, more fluid aspects and trying to force it into an objective uh, framework. Yeah, so I like the I like the idea of consensus becoming more objective over time, but I think because of our culture and our culture of you can downgrade but you can't upgrade, um, or the culture of just I'm gonna tick the box, take the number regardless. And there just really aren't that many people giving their impartial idea or their impartial opinion of what the grade should be. Um, I don't think consensus is actually more objective. I think it might be less objective. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. We've seen that, especially these days where people are taking personal grades now, which People do what they want to do, but like, I mean, that's not going to be a consensus objective. It's literally a personal grade, but that's gained, got some momentum. Like, yeah, as we move forward, it's, I don't see it being an objective way to go about it. Do you think there, that it would ever be possible to come up with an impartial grading committee? No, no way. (laughs) (laughs) Not a chance. (laughs) Robots. We need climber robots that climb things and give you an absolutely impartial objective grade (laughs) that is the answer for everything right there (laughs) um concerning grades they also make the statement it may be likely that the steps between grades are not of a ratio scale but more likely ordinal and should perhaps therefore be treated as such which has implications for further statistical analyses and this is a thing I've heard since I started climbing that the gaps between grades grow exponentially as the grades get higher. I, however, don't believe that's actually the case. Um, I think we're injecting our own experience as limited human beings into this numbered system. And, and let's be clear, difficulty scales don't exist in a vacuum without humans creating the difficulty you know, of a rock climb, it actually isn't a real thing. So we determine where the lines are drawn. Um, But an ordinal or exponential scale doesn't really explain why each subsequent generation can just fly right past the previous generation's high point with no problem. You know, they treat, kids nowadays treat 513 like we treated 511. You know, we're very quickly through that grade. Um, And the next generation is going to treat 515 that way. Um, So this suggests that there's something else at work, a a psychological barrier, which they do acknowledge here. Um, But then they turn around and discount it as if simply reading the difficulty scale and not choosing where to draw the lines around it, you know, but we are choosing to draw those lines. Yeah. So I think, yeah. It's, it's a tricky conversation, <laughs> yeah. one I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, if you, Paul, had to pick a single human being, just one, to suggest how the line should be drawn at the upper ends of climbing grades, who would you choose? <laughs> uh, so pick a single human being to suggest how to draw the line for the upper ends, as in Are they going to draw it linear? Are they going to draw it exponential, ordinal? Someone has to decide where all those lines go between 515, 516, whatever. Who who draws those lines? Who do you choose? 
Dave Graham just because I'm interested to see what comes of it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm I'm going to choose Adam Aldra. They might be the same person. I've never actually seen them in a photo together. <laughs> so they may actually be the same person. Um, but here is what Adam Aldra has to say about grades. World's first A Day happened in 1979. The world's first AB plus happened in 1985. The first 9A happened in 1991, world's famous route action direct, first ascended by Wolfgang Gillich. And the first 9C happened 26 years later in 2017. As you could see, the progression went pretty fast in the 80s. Within 12 years, the grading scale jumped from 8A all the way to the 9A. But then the progression got steadily slower and slower. But the reason behind that is not that the grading scale wouldn't be linear and it would be exponential. No, it is linear. It is just getting progressively harder to get better, the better climber you are. We don't have time in this podcast to have Dave Graham's explanation because it would literally be 17 hours long. But that's what my representative for this conversation, my liaison between humans and grading has to say about it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I was just kind of thinking when we were talking, when we were kind of pulling up that uh, clip, it's like, you know, climbing still such a young sport. Things are going to happen quickly as it develops. And then as more and more people grow into it or the sport matures, yeah, those changes maybe take a longer time to occur but that doesn't mean that there's an inherent distance and difficulty between those grades right you know you go back to 1979 it looked like the difference between 511 and 512 was this massive gulf that only two or three people could achieve you know but Nowadays, hell, before that, grade stopped at five nine. Right, exactly. And nowadays, the difference between five eleven and five twelve for a twelve year old kid is five minutes long. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, I climbed five eleven. <laughs> oh, look at that, I climbed five twelve. You know, five thirteen <laughs> tomorrow. Let's go." <laughs> so it, it, like we've said, every section, it's a fucking tricky conversation. This group is trying to standardize it. I applaud them, but I have more questions. Yeah. <laughs> I think the big thing I took away from the whole paper was really just the the number numerical scale. I think that's super useful. Super useful. And I think, you know, I'm glad that I'm glad they put this out there. Yeah, they they do suggest at the end of the paper, they make a really great suggestion that the next steps would be to agree on a battery of valid and reliable measures of climbing ability and then to use a large sample of climbers across a range of abilities and assess performance on this battery of tests so that they can create a more objective measure of climbing ability for use in future studies. And I mean, that's just science being smart. Like we have talked about many times that we like. Yes, science. So as of April, 2015, they were working on this project. Um, I emailed for a look at a more recent paper that appears to be the results of this uh, project. I haven't heard back yet, and the the paper's not available online, so 
Um, if we get that, we will report back on on what those findings were and what they decided on for the battery of tests. Um, but otherwise, I think it's a really great suggestion. Hundred mm-hmm. uh, percent. Any more you want to say on on this? I think we've we've set up pretty well what science is doing and trying to do. And I appreciate the International Rock Climbing Research Association for trying to make this happen. Um, whether they're super successful in this first attempt or not, I don't know, but but I'm glad they're working on it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. All right. Um, you can find both Paul and I all over the internet by following the links right there in your show notes. You can find Paul at his gym, Crux Conditioning in Chattanooga. If you have questions, comments, or papers you'd like for us to take a look at, hit us up at community.powercompanyclimbing.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, and please tell all of your friends who are sure they know the science of climbing because they work out, bro, that you have the perfect podcast for them. (laughs) And we'll see you in a few weeks for the start of season two of Breaking Beta, where we'll be looking at papers that try to answer questions like, is shaking out actually helpful? Does chalk actually increase friction? Should climbers lift weights? Uh, What do warm-ups actually do? And how should we do them? Are streaks in sports a real thing? And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't have more questions about finger strength. All hangboarding all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, y'all. We'll see you guys next time. It's done. You keep saying that and it's bullshit every time. Always. You know what? I'm done. Okay? You and I, we're done. Breaking Beta is brought to you by Power Company Climbing and Crux Conditioning and is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective. For transcripts, citations, and more, visit powercompanyclimbing.com slash breaking beta. Let's not get lost in the who, what, and whens. The point is, we did our due diligence. Our music, including our theme song, Tumbleweed, is from legendary South Dakota band, Riff Lord. This is it. This is how it ends.
Radio.